Good afternoon, everybody. All right, I love to hear the response. Thank you all so much for coming out a little bit early and spending this time with us before the opera. Uh, my name is Andrea Scobie. I'm the Director of Education here at Detroit Opera. And Arthur White, Director of External Affairs. Thank you so much for coming out to this uh, special look. We have uh, two special guests who are going to join us in just a few minutes. Uh, we are so excited about this opera, Fountain of Tears, uh, Ina Demar. It's, you know, the first uh, Spanish-speaking, or it's not Spanish-speaking, Spanish opera, or in the language of Spanish, uh, that is being performed on our stage. Or some of you probably have joined us for free than others, but this is the first I time actually applause. on the stage at the Detroit Opera House. And hopefully it will be the, not just only the first, but uh, the first of many. Absolutely. So the opera this afternoon, as you are very likely aware, um, focuses on the life of poet, playwright, revolutionary Federico Garcia Lorca. Um, so I have been so um, honored to talk about Lorca um, in the lead up to this opera. He was an incredible artist. He was one of the most important Spanish artists of the 20th century. Um, he's very often credited with introducing surrealism into literature, uh, being one of the first on the forefront of that movement. He was part of um, a cadre of artists uh, in Madrid known as the Generation of 27. Um, if you are familiar with um, Salvador Dali, they were uh, compatriots in that group. They collaborated, they worked together in the theater um, and friends for a long time. Um, and so Lorca's work spanned um, really important plays and works of poetry throughout his short life. Um, at the end of his life, he was captured and executed by the forces of Francisco Franco's regime. Um, and his story and his legacy continues to live on. And we we are so delighted to be able to recognize that and celebrate that on this stage. So the story you'll see this afternoon is Lorca's story, but it's told through the eyes of a very important person, through the eyes of his friend, his muse, his collaborator, um, an actress named Margarita Shirgu. Um, and Margarita was a revolutionary in her own right. She was incredibly political. She was known as Margarita the Red for her left-leaning tendencies. And she is really credited with keeping Lorca's work alive. Um, there was a ban on his work for many, many years after his death. Um, his work was publicly burned in Spain um, under Franco's regime. And uh, Margarita, wherever she was, she was making sure to perform his works and to keep his message and his artistry alive. And so the opera we get to see today is kind of told through that lens. Um, I know I had said to Arthur previously, the lens maybe through which we kind of have always seen Lorca's work since she can be so heavily credited um, with keeping his work alive. So that's a little bit of the context of what you're about to see, but we have two incredible guests um, who are going to tell you more, who are going to delve into not only the story, but the gorgeous music of this opera. Um, so Arthur, can you give them a welcome? Well, actually, I was going to say, just before that, I was going to talk just briefly about the music, uh, what we're going to hear tonight, uh, the composer, um, Osvaldo uh, uh, Goliath, uh, you know, so often we're used to looking at composers or listening to composers who are long since gone, you know, Mozart or Verdi, that sort of thing. And so uh, he's very much alive and well. So he was our podcast guest and he's been, uh, he did a pre-opera talk with us earlier. So it was really neat to uh, talk and hear from someone who actually wrote the piece and uh, could tell you some of his inspirations and some of his thoughts. And so just tell you just a little bit about him. Uh, he's a two-time Grammy Award winning composer uh, and also a professor who hails from Argentina. Uh, uh, he completed his musical studies in Israel and the University of Pennsylvania, where he got his uh, doctorate. Uh, his, uh, there's one piece that he had written, uh, La Pasión Según San Marcos, The Passion of St. Mark of Mark, which really sort of uh, 
you know, made a big splash in the musical world some years ago, and his star has been rising uh, ever since all the way through to this opera, for which he got two Grammys. Uh, so to talk a little bit more about the music, we have two special guests. Uh, the first uh, is uh, our music director here at Detroit Opera, and the other uh, is the, who's going to be conducting tonight. He is currently associate conductor of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. This Chilean Italian conductor has been, uh, you know, running and busting around the concert scene in all types of places, Americas, all the Americas, Asia and Europe. Uh, in addition to his post in LA, he's also music director of the Orquesta Sinfonica Nacional Esperanza Azteca in Mexico and the principal guest conductor of the Philharmonic in uh, Santiago, Chile. Uh, he has been awarded Symphonic and Opera Conductor of the Year multiple times by the Arts Critics Association. Uh, he's conducted symphonically, he's conducted in Houston, uh, Cincinnati, Detroit Symphony in Hong Kong, Italy, Spain, South America, the list goes on and on. So please welcome our two special guests. Mr. Paolo Bortolameoli and uh, Roberto Cal. All right, hello. Hi, hello, everyone. everyone. Good to see you. <clears throat> so I have uh, the distinct pleasure of just sitting back and asking questions, which is great low pressure for me. Uh, so, Paolo, maybe give us a little bit of uh, background. You are, as I read on your bio, and I know, you're Chilean-Italian. Tell us about your upbringing. How did you start into music? Give us the, the brief version of your life story. <laughs> the brief version. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, I, I'm born in Chile. Um, my, my original family is from Italy, so that's where my Italian last name comes from, my, my grandfather. Uh, was the first Italian in, in Chile from my family. And uh, my love for music started really little when I was uh, literally seated uh, on, under the, my um, grandfather's piano because he, he was like a piano lover and uh, he was a, also kind of like a sort of composer, sort of because he didn't went into the musical field because he was a lawyer, actually. But when he was little, he, he went to the conservatory and he was a, a very good pianist and, uh, and, um, and composer, actually. And when I was a little kid, that was kind of like my corner to sit underneath the, the piano, which actually is, is not a very good place to hear music. It's actually awful, but, <laughs> but somehow it was my corner, this beautiful corner about music. And on the other hand, my, my dad brought me to, to many of my first uh, concerts, operas, ballet. And there was one in particular when I was seven years old uh, with Beethoven V, that uh, changed my life because he, um, he kind of like explained it to me, what, it, what is a symphony, how it works, what is the, you know, the, the a symphony orchestra, whatever. But I didn't expect that th this was going to be such a moving experience. So in this moment of the symphony, I don't know if you recall, you know, we all know ta-ta-ta-ta, yes, that, that, that we know. But there is this moment when we land in the final movement, which is built on this incredibly building up of tension, which is for me, even today, is one of the most perfect pages of the music history. And that changed my life because I started to cry and my dad started to cry. Afterwards, we, we visited the conductor, he started to cry, everybody cried because this little seven-year-old guy was moved by music and I wasn't, I, I didn't understand why I was so moved by sound. So the conductor hugged me and, and, uh, and he said, this is why we do what we do. So I decided that day, this is what I want to do. So here I am. Beautiful story. So we just heard you've conducted all over. 
and I read that you just did uh, Tosca in yeah. Paris, one of the most important theaters in the world. And you're, are you doing Magic Flute or you just did Magic I Flute? I did. I did Magic Flute uh, also in the Liceo Barcelona okay. last year. So you do standard repertoire and you do a lot of modern repertoire as well. What's the difference between conducting, let's say, uh, Tosca versus this show, Ay Nada Mar? That's a tricky question because I could say a lot and I could say none. <laughs> because, I mean, it's music. And, and, and when you love music and, and you connect with, uh, with the narrative of it, it doesn't behave differently uh, in the way that you are connecting a story, the story of the plot, but also the story of the music, because the music, it has the same, it, it's a language itself. So when you understand how that works in terms of melody, structure, harmonies, uh, counterpoint, and the richness of the colors and everything, you're not actually making a separation between Tosca and, uh, and a modern opera, because you are helping the music to be and connecting with the, with the musicians of the orchestra and, and, and the singers and the, the, and the vision of the director, which is so important. So that I would say it's not different at all. However, it is true that it's different <laughs> because it responds to different moments of the, the history of music and, the, and how the aesthetics of sounds evolves. So, Somehow, yes, of course, if, if, we, if we pair them both and, and, and we compare what, like, the sounds of Tosca with the sounds of Ainadamar are kind of, like, different. Why are they different? Well, because I always want to believe that opera finds the sounds the plot need and, um, and the story. So when you talk about Tosca, even when, when, when you, you, you find it that it's kind of like a really romantic and, and really recognizable kind of like a whistle tune opera, it's still, it's the proper music for the script, you know, like, like having this, this uh, Scarpia guy who is ruling the whole plot, and that's actually the first music we listened in Tosca when the curtains open. It's kind of like, you know, welcome to this uh, amazing story, and, and we won't see him until the minute 25 of the opera, so it's really clever how, how Puccini kind of like you know, take us our, our attention to develop into this world of like getting to know more than what they are showing because of the music. So Puccini knew that that's the music he needed to tell this story. In the same uh, uh, thing with, with Golijov, the first thing that comes to mind is like, okay, this is setting in, in, set in Granada, it's set in, in Spanish, so I'm pretty sure we will get some of the Spanish flavor. And of course, that's what happens. I mean, the, the very first uh, thing we'll, we hear is this fanfare of the trumpet, but it's all, all uh, kind of like uh, shaped in the, in the Phrygian mode, which is the, the, this, this scale, a special scale that it's used in the flamenco. So in the very first bar, we are, all, are already um, kind of like invited to be part of this sound world which will reflect everything that is going on on stage. However, one of the, the things that also comes to my, my thinking about this particular opera is, of course, every, every year or every decade moving into the future, it's something that uh, will affect all your, your palettes of colors. So what uh, Golikov has to, to in, in, in his hands, it's a lot. So he can use a lot of different devices to invite us to be part of this. It's one of those, it's how he so smartly combined kind of like the, the, the more traditional harmonies and, uh, and, and structure, melodies, something that we can easily recognize immediately and, uh, and it's really catchy, catchy tunes, but he's 
always kind of like going a little bit beyond there and, and using some mom so moments of really contemporary music, which is actually uh, moments of like uh, where instruments are, are improvising because that's what's what, what the score uh, it's asked for, kind of like repeatant, repeat this formula as many times you want and, it, and it's gonna sound kind of like messy and blurry and ghostly. Uh, there's also this um, uh, use of uh, pre-recorded uh, music or sounds or screams um, or in the score it's also requested to the voices in some moments has to be um, um, distorted by sound effects so we can kind of like be in this uh, mystical surrealistic world uh, the sounds of the of the tears and the drips and the drops so there's many things that you would say oh this is really modern but I think again he is using this, these devices in order to fulfill the vision of the plot and what is going on. So that's what makes it a really interesting opera because it's, it's not about being modern or being different to a core uh, repertoire opera. It's more about like, again, we have a, conduct, a, a composer whose understanding of the opera is right. It's kind of like, okay, I have, I have a plot. I will have a stage. I have singers, I have characters, I have the music. How we put all this together in the service of the narrative and how that actually affects the way you will embrace the experience. Great. And uh, if you enjoy Paolo speaking about music, I encourage you to go on YouTube and, and put his name in. And he has, I was watching this morning, I hadn't seen, amazing uh, tutorials on all kinds of music, symphonic, graphics. It's in Spanish, but closed captioned, so it's fantastic, I encourage you. Um, let me ask you about working with dancers. This is a dance-heavy show. Yeah. What, what is the conductor's role when you have an opera with such a heavy dance element? Well, in conducting school, they will teach you <laughs> that your main role it's to follow the tempo of the dancers. That's kind of like the rule one in the in the in the in the book, because they are their their body memory. It's so important that if you change a little bit of the tempo, you know, speeding it up or slowing it down, that would affect the way they react to the choreography and and how these things was already kind of like ingrained in their bodies and in their understanding. However. <laughs> I do believe that uh, even if it's that's kind of like following the book, uh, this, is, this is a group experience process. I mean, we've been here for the last five weeks. Uh, four of those were rehearsals. So when you are building a, a production uh, from, the, from the conductor's point of view, I think your duty is to be involved with every single aspect of, of, the, of the kind of like in the making. Right? I mean, it's not just, okay, my job is the music, your job is choreography, your job is staging, you're the lights. No, it's, 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 it's a whole thing. It's a whole experience as, a, as an artistic collaboration. That's what matters. And that's how you build this relationship, like uh, listening and, and, and accompanying and, and suggesting and talking. And day by day, this becomes this product. So in this case, yes, the choreography aspect of it, it's, it's substantial, it's, and it's really important. And I am glad it is, because I mean, we are, we are, we are, guests, uh, 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 we are guests of a flamenco drive all the time. So, and it's not only the dancers, also the sounds, so we have the guitars, we have the cajon. So, I mean, we are pretty much 
in the zone of the, the, that, that Spain that we want to see with, for a story like this one, right? So obviously the, the dance part of it, it's more than welcome. It's something that we want to be there. So yeah, it was kind of like part of the process to understanding how kind of like a crucial element for the whole experience was and how we put it together with the music. But again, in, in, in the process, it's, it's about a, a collaboration, a talking, a finding the right shape, the right tempo. <laughs> so this is the first Spanish opera, Spanish language opera that has been done main stage at Detroit Opera. And maybe you can tell us, I mean, I think both of us are a little biased because we're both native <laughs> Spanish speakers. But what do you think the importance of uh, producing Spanish opera is? What do you see the future? Tell us a little bit about how you feel about Spanish language opera. Well, I think Spanish is the best, of course. <laughs> yeah, mainly because we don't have to learn another language to understand the opera. But <laughs> we can literally understand every single <laughs> word. No, no, I mean, you know, there's like, uh, it's difficult to be objective when it's your mother language to understand how much of a musical language a language could be. Uh, because, you know, we are, we are accustomed to, the, to praise Italian, like a really kind of musical language. And it is, actually, because the use of the vowels or the consonants, is, it, it helps the music. It's, it's not difficult to understand how this could add something to the shape of the music itself. Uh, and then we have, like, you know, German, which is maybe not as, as sweet as, <laughs> as Italian. I love German, though. I mean, I, I think it's great, but but it's great for other for other reasons. It's because of the of the depth and and the kind of like the meaning of the words and that and and. But it's really interesting because then you kind of like try to understand like if if it's the language after the culture or is the culture shaped because of the language, because the way you you communicate to others depends a lot on the words that you're using. But those words or tho those systems where you put the verb, how you make the conjugation, how you build words, also will affect the way you perceive the world because it's, it's your first way to connect to people. So everything will be linked to your language. So in the case of Spanish, I would say it's, it's pretty much the same case. I mean, it, the Spanish has this, this kind of like Latin thing and, and, and letting passionate flavor, even if for in, in strictly with the use of the, of the consonants, it's this kind of like roughness, but at the same time, kind of like delicate uh, tone of, of the wave of the sound, which makes it really uh, beautiful to hear. The, 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 the Spanish language is a really beautiful one. The Spanish from Spain, it's even more strong because it's had like this th, th, and all these things that, you know, uh, kind of like make it even more more characteristic. Uh, however, it's not easy to sing. It's not the easiest uh, language to sing sometimes because of that, because the, the, the extreme consonants and, uh, and, and, and kind of like the, you, you need, you would need more kind of like a, a, a neither, another shape of the vowels. However, I think it's, uh, it's a fantastic language to put um, um, operas in, and especially because there is so much history so much history. There are so many stories to tell. This one is a particular fantastic one because it's based on real life and real events, which at the same time is based on the, on, on the image of Lorca's 
of another story, which is Mariana Spineda uh, story, this, uh, this um, also political persecuted person that was um, a martyr in the, in the 19th century uh, because uh, she was supporting the liberals and when the, the king, the Ferdinand VII, came up again to, with his kind of like a fist rule power, uh, she persecuted all these people and she refused to to say who these other people were. So she was kind of like uh, always stick to their beliefs. So they, they kill her. And that affected Lorca in a way that, uh, well, it, it became his first uh, playwright. And the opera, it's about the confrontation of these two worlds, kind of like the way uh, Lorca saw this murder and how Lorca became the murder, but at the same time, making this kind of like really subtle and important, um, how to say, like statement of how art or stories, it's all about passing the torch. So Pineda was a torch that Lorca took, and then Margarita, and then you will see um, her student um, uh, passing the same like, as kind of like a, this is gonna be, because this is gonna survive you. It doesn't matter how tragic your life was, what you did to humankind, it's bigger, it's more important. So, getting back to your question, I, s I would say there's so many stories yet to tell in the, in the Spanish culture, not only from Spain, in Latin America. I mean, God, we have all these amazing uh, Latin American uh, writers, you know, so to name a, a few, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody knows about like Asia Marquez or, uh, or um, uh, Cortázar in Argentina, or Pablo Neruda in Chile. So, yeah, I'm, I want to think that there is a bright future on upcoming infinite productions in the Spanish language. Great. Um, I have two more questions for you. One is uh, a little bit off the beaten path. I'm going to go away from the opera for a second, uh, because I was so curious watching your YouTube channel um, and your socials that I'm curious what you think the role of social media and the internet plays in the opera? And have you seen any of your social media followers actually come into the theater and see the shows live? Yes, I have, actually. <laughs> no, it's, it's nice. Actually, to, to, today, maybe they were, are already here. I don't know. Uh, today, I, I, I got a, an invoice uh, from Instagram saying we are coming to the show because I, we, are, we are, you know, looking forward to it. And yes, kind of like a, they, they knew about it because of my post and, and everything. Uh, so yes, I've, I've seen direct effect on how we could engage to the audiences, with the audiences through this media. I think social media as every other single technological device is a tool. It's, it's the way we use it. It's not or bad, it's, it's, it's not good or bad. It's just like what we, make it of it and uh, and I think it's a responsibility from us artists to communicate with the audiences I, I think those years of like being a part of it and and waiting for just kind of like applause or, 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 or detached to the experience are past gone I think now it's all about this magnificent unique right that we are having together this gathering of souls that are part of this moment, of this, the here, the now. Uh, whatever happens here, there, it's also happening here. It's not something that it's not the same thing. It's the same thing. We are all around this bonfire, art. 
that it's been here since day one, and it will be until the end of times. So I think uh, technology can, yeah, kind of like shorter that gap because we are reachable, and, and why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't be? Because art is, it's, it's our craft, it's our thing, it's our miracle. So it's about sharing that gift. Great, and so to close, because you have to go down and oh, yeah. change, an you opera have to that I conduct have to the show, yeah. doing a beautiful, beautiful job. Um, I want to, maybe for the audience, maybe give them a few of your favorite moments in the opera, and maybe one thing, because the show you'll see, it's visually incredibly stunning. So maybe one thing that they should listen for specifically, while they're not being distracted by the beautiful dancing or the, the projection. Well, I mean, you can. You can be distracted. <laughs> but it, it, it's, the, it's the sum of the, of, of the elements, what makes it like a, a, a great show. It's kind of like a, like a movie. When, when maybe you, you're not paying attention to the soundtrack, but if, if it were muted, you would miss it so much. And in this case, it's not just a soundtrack, it's a storyteller. I mean, the music, it's a substantial part of how everything evolves and how many of the nuances of the psychological aspects or the intimacy in the, in the feelings of the, of, the, of the characters are highlighted by the music. I mean, the music is, is telling you more than them. And that's always the case in the opera, and that always make, makes opera kind of like a really relevant um, uh, uh, product, like an art product, because uh, the, it's, it's all about like storytelling in different angles. Uh, I do have favorite moments. Um, there's a lot, actually. There's, there, there's this one that is called um, In Between the Explosions. I love that moment because it's really, really intense. It's when, when uh, the exact moment when uh, Lorca decided to stay and fight for the cause while Margarita is trying to convince him to, to leave uh, Spain. That moment when, when they discuss the music, it's, it's amazing. It's, I, I love that music. It's really, really intense, and, and, but it's at the same time, it's really kind of like flamenco and energy, and, and, and the orchestra is playing like so many notes, and <laughs> fantastic notes, and the, and the percussion and everything. Another one that I, I really like, which is unfortunately the one moment that I actually not doing anything, but I, I, I <laughs> maybe that's why I'm loving it. No. <laughs> No, 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 it, it, because it's a pre-recording moment, but I think it's so clever. It's, it's the moment, actually, the execution. Because you will see that the, the execution, it's, it's prepared by a really emotional moment, like a building up of, of it. it's a really touching moment. But the execution itself, it's resolved in a, such a, in a imaginative way because the, the gunshots become like a rhythm to be danced. Uh, so uh, these are pre-recorded uh, shots, but it's, I don't know, it's always this kind of like, this is so great. I mean, it's not that, of course, it's not great because it's, it's a dramatic moment, but it artistically, it's, it's beautiful, it's clever. And the other one that uh, always kind of, even when I come back, I, I, it, it moves me so much. It's just one bar, literally one bar. There's this moment when, when Lorca is already dead and, and, and Margarita, it's, it's, uh, it's still fighting for, to, the, to the fact that she wants to tell the story of Lorca one more time, but, but she's ill and, and she kind of least, literally can't do it. So the spirit of Lorca appears to comfort her and, and say, everything you've done, it's right. So now it's time to, to rest. And there's one bar when Lorca's spirit says, now you and, and, uh, and Mariana Pineda, who was the, the main character of, of Lorca and where Margarita based her own ca whole career. So she says, now you and, and, and Mariana are one. 
that moment, it's, it's, it's so intimate. It's, it's nothing, actually. It's just like, a, for musicians would be, yeah, because there's a change of, a change of the chord, and, uh, and there's like this beauty on the texture of the, of, of the, um, of the uh, alto flute and, 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 and kind of like a pedal note in the, in the strings, but it doesn't matter. That, that's kind of like the explanation. But the way it's, it's highlighting that sentence, it's really moving. It's really beautiful. Wonderful. I want to thank Paolo for his wonderful words. Thank you very much. And thank you. Before we go, uh, I want to thank all of you for attending. And I, want, I have to do the pitch, yeah? <laughs> if you like what you see, come next season. We have incredible operas. I'm conducting a few. So please, please come and join us, DetroitOpera.org. There's something for everyone. Please check it out. It's going, if you like this, you're going to love next season as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our two fine conductors, Paolo Bartolomeoli and Roberto Cao. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. And thank you all again for attending, and uh, you're going to have a fantastic performance today.